When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh! Wonderful shot by Lennox Lewis! A right hand by Holyfield! By Boston Douglas! Look at this! He's knocked by Tyson down for the first time in his career! But unfortunately, it'll never happen. Crunch! Punches! And punches! And it's over! I think it's going to be over. say there seems an element of genuine hate between these two Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Frank. You can stop it any time. Castillo's in trouble. Weak steps in and the fight is over. Oh! Welcome back to the legendary night's after show. This is the after show for Mark Kayla versus Errol Christie, a tale which certainly brought some stories that are very topical stories, very relevant and current in terms of what goes on in the world in 2024. And as always, I'm joined by Luke here, who prior to coming on this show and doing this episode in particular, had no clue about this fight. And it's a really interesting conversation to have with yourself on this episode, Lukey, because when you get a fight which seemingly is, in the grand scheme of things, is insignificant across the world, it, it sort of gives you the stories behind it, which maybe you can compare to other situations in life, uh, personally, or even what you've seen locally, regionally, nationally, within America over the years, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective on on what you took away from listening to this episode and, and sort of dissecting it down and making those comparisons to what life is like in America and how things like this are just so so prevalent in society in general even still now even all those years after the fact you know we're 39 years on from this fight and yet a lot of these social economic and racial issues uh, are still here today the more we change the less we change, you know, everything seems to stay the same topics of controversy 
seemed to always be the same and it it always what's what did they say i guess i'm going to quote a line from the zodiac killer movie which isn't a great thing to quote a serial killer but the man is the most dangerous animal of all and um i think stories about racism and stories about injustice always there's always a figure that gives you hope but it always shows you sadly that there's always someone that's going to allow bigotry and hatred to still thrive so going back to this story then, Lukey, I'm really interested to hear a lot of the different moments and how you perceive them. So forgive me for leaning a lot on you for this episode because I'm really interested to hear your take on on kind of how certain moments played out throughout the course of, of this particular story. So in the grand scheme of things, this wasn't a significant fight because it was an eliminator for a British title which in comparison to, to the US is, is kind of like a, a state title, maybe a, a, an area title, so to speak, because there's such a, a, vast, a vast variety of, of different places within the US in comparison to our little island here in the UK. It's in the grand scheme of things, it's like a drop in the ocean. However, in the UK, it became such a big thing. It became such a big moment because of the societal issues that were going on at the time, which is what we covered in the episode about how riots had been sparked by individual incidents which had caused certain minded people to want to go out there and use those particular incidents as an excuse to maybe push their own agendas out there and and this fight kind of bleeds completely beyond boxing for me looking back at it in hindsight because it is all about like the societal issues the racism Poverty, everything that was going on within the UK in the mid-1980s, the difficulties that people were facing on a day-to-day basis, not too dissimilar from how people are struggling today, to be honest, in the UK. But still, back then, it was even more difficult for people that lived through that moment. So when you listen to the stories of, obviously, the racism that Errol Christie faced uh, living in in Coventry, living in his part of the UK, no, no matter where he went, he was always fighting no matter where he went he was always victimized in some way shape or form but yet boxing was a way of him being able to escape those moments and some of the most notable things that he did of course which will resonate with you Lukey is of course the fact that he ended up in the crunk gym for a period of time and one of the things I took away from it was I just wondered why he never stayed wondered why he never sort of relocated and it made me wonder like what sort of a fighter could he have been if he would have stayed with Emmanuel Stewart in a crunk gym, which was an absolute hotbed in the 1980s. So, Luca, your thoughts initially on maybe Errol Christie's struggle in his journey to get him to the point of the fight with Mark Kayla? Well, to me, the word... Um, I, I did a lot of reading on this, and I listened to the podcast. You very rarely see people describe someone as a sweet man and a boxer, Yet that was still the over, like the the vibe that I got was there was a beloved nature to his character. I think that it's really hard to break out of what you're comfortable with. Like if you said, hey, you can be a million dollar writer and video guy, but you have to live in Liverpool for five years. I mean, most people would be like, heck yeah, just do it. But then like what happens if one of my family members passes away? What happens if I don't get to eat my favorite sandwich? What happens if this? I think the creature comforts of life often stop us. And I think that sadly, what was it, 40 so years ago, life was so much different. 
the internet has changed things. The internet has in many ways brought us together for better or worse. And this story also felt to me in the buildup as a very pre-internet fighter's development. Well, of course it was because we look at this fight in particular and think about the potential of what it would have done today. And I know both, I think it was Mark and both Errol said the same thing when they were put on a show a few years back where they were asked about this fight and the significance of it at that time. And even now today, if this fight was around, I think this probably would have piqued the interest of people like yourself, Luke, who who covers a lot of UK boxing as well as everything on your home turf. And I think this type of a fight would have stoked the fire and it probably would have been viral. Like the moment in the press conference outside where they're having a photo shoot and you know, he whispers supposedly in his ear a, a racist slur and that kicks off. And, you know, those type of, of moments, they, they become complete viral videos, don't they? And as a result of that, that then sells a fight. It makes the casual audience want to tune into something, even if they don't necessarily follow the sport, but like to tune in for moments to see what's actually going to happen. And, and it's kind of in comparison to, you know, like modern day moments where, you know, you get, God forbid, a YouTube boxer who creates that much traction in what he's doing that he ends up fighting a professional boxer and the world wants to see whether the YouTube boxer will topple the professional boxer and whether it will cause, you know, a huge upset and a huge ripple in the wave of the sport. And I'm not comparing this fight to that, but what I'm making the point of is if Mark Haler versus Errol Christie was around today in 2024, and the underlying tones of what was going on surrounding that fight was happening today, it would have been a much, much bigger fight despite the level of accolade that was involved in it or the lack of accolade that was involved in the fight. It would have become a much more pertinent fight and probably would have made them a hell of a lot more money. However, they did make quite a bit of money for the time for the type of fight it was. But would it have been one of those, Lukey? You know, if you look at this now, and you look at what you cover and, and how you perceive things that come from the UK, if you would have seen this, you would have probably been like, this is one I want to cover. This is one I, I really want to go for, isn't it? Well, I think also, like, given since I've started, been lucky enough to start working at Pro Box, and then you have, like, these great boxing writers, people I looked up to, like Tris Dixon and Declan Warrington and Alan Dawson, working there, it's like I feel like I'm an American, but I also am, like, on the British boxing beat because I'm just immersed with kind of the great boxing minds of Britain. So I feel like I'll, I'd like to preface that not to brag, but to basically say, okay, I think I'm a hard American to ask this because I feel like I'm a, I'm really excited about Bawatsi Dan Aziz. And I feel like there's not a lot of Americans that are like, I can't wait to see this great London fight. But I think that a fight that has a natural element that carries over to life and the issues that we strongly feel about, those are the fights that I'm most interested in because I think the fights that get me going are fights that have legacy involved. How how will someone deal with defeat? How will they deal with the pressure in the moment in this fight? Given the sensitive nature and subjects around it, I think you wanted to see the outcome and you kind of wanted to see almost justice done in the ring. So for me, I would definitely be a keen observer if I had a time machine and didn't know the outcome and went back and was a part of this. One of the comparisons that I remember covering in the Legendary Night show, which was on a much larger scale in this fight, was doing the tale of Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling and how significant of a fight that was because that wasn't just 
you know, white versus black in terms of the, the racial element of it. That was also white versus black. And that was also country versus country. The USA versus Germany. It was, you know, the, the, the strong superior USA forces versus the Nazis and, and how significant that fight was. And the fact that the victory for Joe Lewis did so much to really put people in such a great mindset going back to this fight in particular though because that's a huge huge fight of course going back to this one in particular i think what was so big about it in the 1980s and, and would be massive today is the issues the societal issues that are really a big part of this story for me when we put into context what was going on within the sport of football or, or soccer as you guys know it you know there was a lot of hooliganism going on. There was a lot of different far-right groups that had their own agendas and ideologies of how people should live and what they should look like and what the colour of the skin should be and all these different ideologies that were around at the time, probably more so than what there are today. There were so many different ideologies that people believed in. It created all these different facets and groups of people within the UK that ultimately became opportunists when the moment came for them to to strike which was what all these riots eventually turned out to be about they used an excuse of an individual being hurt or killed or even murdered to be able to push their own agendas and and cause complete havoc and what this particular fight then did was it was like it was like the cherry on the cake it was the moment where you were putting two guys in there that genuinely went on to despise each other and then you had the racial element of it being a white man versus a black man, and then you had these groups of, of, of football hooligans that supported Mark Kaler in particular because he was an advocate of his football team, West Ham, at that time, and you had all that that bled into it, which made it even even bigger for people at the time and, and even bigger of a talking point. Are there any particular moments in boxing history in the US, or even maybe in sports history, not just boxing history, that that you can honestly remember or think of that would give it a similar comparison to, to, to what plays into something like this fight? Well, there's there's one in the U.S. that I think is somewhat like this, but it's different, and it would be Jerry Cooney, Larry Holmes, but it's not at all because of Jerry Cooney. He was kind of a, a guy that's like, hey, the Ku Klux Klan is doing a rally about me but I don't support the Ku Klux Klan. It became a racially divided fight around the promotion, which basically pitted a white guy against a black guy, which then got basically hate groups invested in the fight. And Cooney was kind of sitting on the sidelines being like, I don't like where this is going, but it was going. I think for me, the nearest comparison I could think when I was listening to this was Alan Minter versus Marvin Hagler, which is another British fight. But there was a lot of racial undertones that I think shaped the bitterness of Hagler in his career from, let's just say what it was, the racism of Alan Minter in the buildup to that fight, which historians bring up, but it goes largely untold in the Hagler story. I think the Hagler story is he had a chip on his shoulder and this and that, but they don't talk about the racism and the bad decisions he faced to become the frustrated haggler that we all remember. So those are my probably two examples of things that had the context of this fight, though they're not exactly the same. Well, the comparison of Alan Minter and Hagler is, is it was like a prelude 
to Mark Kayla versus Errol Christie. And I know we, we talked about that in the podcast and we mentioned that because it was, you know, we had that fight and Marvin Hagler became the champion for the first time. And yet he wasn't able to celebrate the way he should have been able to celebrate because of the white racist football hooligans that were in Wembley Arena that night that caused him to have to be escorted out of the place. And then there was obviously also the comment from Alan Minter about how he'll never let a black man take a title from him. So with all that in mind, yes, it created straight away that that, that moment and that mindset within white British football hooligan fans that, you know, whenever you pitted a white guy against a black guy, whether it be two British guys or whether it be a black American versus a white British fighter... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all that was going to happen is the football hooligans were going to fill these arenas these venues uh, and just be there for one sole purpose which was to to ridicule to be racist to to attack, to to just do things that were going to cause complete havoc. And that's exactly what happened in the Marvin Hagler Alan Minter fight. But it's a really good it's a really good description that you've made there about how people don't really speak about that in the career of, of Marvin Hagler in that sense that it that it kind of set him on a path at that moment when he becomes champion to become this this 
vengeful, spiteful fighter that he goes on to become and also a fighter that always felt like he had that, like you said, chip on his shoulder all the time, no matter what he did. He, he achieved great things in the sport. But yeah, even still, it always felt like he had something on that shoulder of his, even when he reached the pinnacle of his career, even when, you know, he has the, the fantastic fight in the same year as Kayla and Christie, of course, 1985. And yeah, it's it's a good point that you that you raise and, and how the Hagler and Minter moment, as we said in the pod, was a prelude to what was about to come alongside the other issues in society that, that started to build it up to a point where it became what it was. And the Kayla versus Christie fight, I don't think it would have been as drama-filled if there wasn't that moment in the photo shoot where there's the racist slur remark, which Mark Kayla denies to this day. He he says, and that moment, that footage, what you could see on your TV screen at that time was what created that hype around what people wanted to see. And I said it earlier about casual fans that maybe not necessarily are tuned into the sport of boxing, but they see two guys brawling and they are white and black and all of a sudden their prejudice takes over. They don't care about the fact that it's a a certain sport. A lot of those people, a lot of those individuals around at that time, all they cared about was whether their guy the white man was going to beat the black man on the opposite side. They didn't care about the feelings of the other opponent in Errol Christie. All they cared about was seeing their guy win. And that that's what bled into this fight in such a massive, massive way. And when I look back on it and I look at the hindsight element of, of, of what should have gone on at the time, it was like the people around them, the promotional companies, the managers, even the trainers, it's like they should have anticipated it but they didn't and Mark Kayler constantly said at the end look someone wasn't doing the job they shouldn't have let us go in 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 this way given what was going on given how people felt at that time and obviously the moment where Errol Christie believes he he used a racist slur against him so when you look back at these these particular moments and everything that was surrounding society in the UK at that time do you believe that maybe just maybe the people that were in charge of running this fight might have actually wanted that to happen because of the fact that it ended up creating more interest. Do you really think promoters in general are happy to do that? I know we've heard Don King do it in the Larry Holmes-Jerry Cooney fight. He made it about race. But do you think in general that's something promoters and managers would latch onto in general, even today, just to kind of sell something to the casual audience? I'm going to give an unpopular opinion. Okay, so this is just the way I feel. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but this is the obligation. The obligation of the manager is to protect the fighter at all costs. They're the first line of defense. The obligation of the promoter is to put on an entertaining or good show that pulls money and revenue for shareholders. Sadly, I think ethics for many people go to the sidelines and it comes down to how do we achieve that goal? When I was learning how to make films, you know how you create drama in a film? You bust out a gun. Oh my God, he got he's got the gun and now you've got drama. So there was a there was a, a joke. You can't have a gun in a scene because the gun comes out and all of a sudden there's drama. I feel like racial tension is one of these things where you can immediately 
play to people's inner fears one way or another and sell tickets that way. And I feel at times promoters look to promote and they don't always look at what's the social issue at large. How does this shape society? And that's, I think, also why our sport is deemed kind of a freak show sport and kind of looked at as stupid at times is because we don't have these ethical standards that maybe like the NBA or the NFL, or I would hope, I'm not as familiar, but the Premier League, I would hope that they have some things where they'd go, hey, this seems a little goofy. We need to address it. Boxing never seems to address issues that as a society we deem like that's not appropriate behavior. And that I think that that's always been an issue with boxing is people live vicariously through people's bad decisions in boxing. It's like a, a grand theft auto sport. And that's kind of the appeal for some people. And I think some promoters go, let's just ramp that up more and more because the viewership comes from people making bad decisions and ruining their lives. Absolutely. And and this certainly, it bled into it massively. And, you know, when you, when you look at the... The, the, the sort of fight itself and you go back to the fight itself and, and it lived up to expectation because both of them went down in the first round, which, you know, really then leads to think that this is going to be one one hell of a fight. And I can I can imagine just watching back on it. I can imagine how that must have felt being a fan, just maybe as a neutral, maybe not thinking about supporting one or the other, but thinking as a neutral fan, I can imagine that would have been absolutely fantastic to to be a part of in that sense that you got two guys that just had this bad blood between one another and they go in the ring, the first round goes and both of them hit the deck in the first round and it, it then creates what you expect to end up becoming such a such a great and maybe legendary fight, although it doesn't turn out to be a legendary fight, but it certainly lived up to the expectation of what people wanted to see in this fight and the result of course was Mark Kayla getting the victory and I can imagine there were a lot of happy racist West Ham football fans at that time a lot of just general racist white men that probably would have loved to have seen that moment happen the fall of Errol Christie at that moment in time and I can also imagine it probably it probably led to more societal issues outside of the boxing ring in general communities because I can imagine the mentality of people at the time was probably to prod fun and goad these people that were supporters of Errol Christie to cause more and more issues and one of the big things about this fight that I was very surprised about and I learned more about in doing the research for it was that the lack of security like around the arenas and the the venues in Britain in the 1980s, it was just like, when you look at what security is like today, we have certain security firms that are employed to manage the whole arenas and stadiums and it, and it runs like clockwork and it's it's much, much better. And then you think about this moment where <laughs> there's literally like nobody securing these venues, which is why things like Minter versus Hagler happen because lack of security and lack of planning led to these moments however this particular fight was that racially charged that they needed to get a former football hooligan to bring in his own private team of individuals that could go in there and basically bully the bullies it was like they were employed because they were like you know the lesser of two evils so to speak we'll get these guys in because we know these guys are not going to take that crap 
from those that are in the crowd and because they are known football hooligans themselves or former football hooligans there's that perception of they're going to create this sort of barrier of of individuals that these louts these these people that just want to cause havoc were probably too scared to actually create that level of drama and that reflects upon how when the fight ends there actually isn't any trouble at the arena or reported outside of the arena which I, f- I found quite crazy that the lack of security was was such a such a thing then like when you look at it now Luke you think to yourself wherever you go security is such it's such a big thing now whereas then you literally anybody could go in and you probably wasn't searched there was no metal detectors there was nothing like that anything anything could have happened and that was probably the ideal situation if you were one of those individuals that wanted to create havoc in yeah i mean it's it's quite uh it's quite a situation and i think that we like we can say things changed but then look at rap music right a few years ago draco the ruler he does a concert in la and gets murdered at the concert and it's like how does like everyone allegedly is saying they have rough ties to rough areas and their songs are very violent how does any artist get in or does there do people get into this venue with people that have any form of a weapon how do, how is metal detectors not a thing and i feel like you brought up a great point about security but i think security is an uh, evolving thing as i talk to people that do security for a living there is a lot of vulnerabilities in our homeland and in your your country and just think about that from the the best minds, right? The the top of the food chain, protecting governing bodies, protecting society as a whole. There are weak spots that horrible people look to target on a daily basis. We don't need to get into that. But now work backwards and think about a sporting event for leisure. There's going to be soft spots. And I think as we evolve, we're going to look back at security over time and go, Oh, that's that's what security looked like because it it's never security's never going to say stay the same. If is what I'm basically saying, like security's always going to ramp up more and more because there's people always looking to work around it. But I think it's shocking just how bad the security was for this. So going back to the fight, going back to the the outcome, of course, Errol Christie. We read quotes out from his book about the difficulties he was facing. As a fighter at this point in time, how his body was systematically breaking down and how he could feel that happening. It was was really insightful to hear his words literally come from the page as to how he was struggling during the course of that fight. And, you know, describing how the end came of a fight was, was, was quite an interesting bit of psychology. It was like you can kind of go into the mind of this individual at that moment in time and, and truly get a feeling of how difficult it is in what is the loneliest sport in the world for someone to to sort of feel how your body's systematically breaking down and how your body cannot do what your mind is telling it to do and seeing the the fall of an individual like that in a boxing ring is is quite difficult and we've seen it many many times over the years and many many times in our lifetimes as being fans of this sport it's it's so hard and difficult to watch a fighter systematically go down when you seemingly believe that this fighter is is at the peak of their powers and for them to to be broken down and beaten in the way Errol Christie eventually gets stopped in this fight and then hearing it in the aftermath of how difficult it was for him 
you don't really appreciate it. I can imagine people didn't appreciate it at that time, how difficult it must have been for him until, of course, he released his own memoirs years and years later about the difficulties he was facing health-wise when it came down to his body. And I think it's only then you truly appreciate what boxers do and what they provide to us the entertainment they can provide to us at times and the difficulties that they face on a day-to-day basis and like when their body systematically breaks down after years of of difficulties whether it's substance abuse outside of the ring alcohol abuse outside of the ring just generally not looking after themselves and they break that down or whether it's just an individual that his body's just naturally just naturally breaking down because it's just wear and tear on them it's it's it's, it's a sad story that doesn't really get too much coverage in terms of of how difficult it really is and how maybe society and fans of the sport don't really appreciate that until you hear something like that because you could get a fight and see a fighter that you really enjoy watching systematically get broken down in a fight and automatically those so-called fans of that fighter will then you know change their allegiances and, and go I don't like this fighter anymore and 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 curse them and say whatever they want to say about them but then they don't realize until that individual that fighter then says look i had this problem this problem that problem and naturally it turns out that this was the case surely those types of people must feel bad but it made me feel listening to errol chris's story like it felt made me feel sad like there's there's hundreds of boxes that this has probably happened and and that was one of the overarching themes of that story that tale was was how Errol Christie was starting to, in his in his mind, he knew his body was breaking down, and and this was kind of that moment where he had to do something with it. He had to make a moment out of it, and unfortunately, his body just didn't allow him to. Well, Joni Mitchell once said, on and on and on again, uh, you don't know what you got until it's gone. And I I feel like in boxing we never appreciate a fighter until we realize that they're no longer that fighter. And what better example is you read the memoir and then you find out just what this fight kind of meant. So in summary of this episode, I just really want to get a final synopsis from yourself about what you now perceive this moment in time, this fight, this build up to to actually be and and obviously the societal racial issues that were going on at that time given that you didn't know anything about this going into covering this episode and being part of this after show and and listening to that tale, what has it now left you feeling in your mind about this particular tale of Mark Kaler and Errol Christie and the UK in the mid-1980s, of course? Well, I can't really comment on the UK in the mid-1980s because it's always going to seem fantastical to me because it's going to seem romanticized because it's so exotic compared to what I know. Though I understand racism was an element, I think racism is going to happen everywhere because people are going to look at the way they look and see another person that looks different and not see the common traits of them. They're going to look, oh, I don't like the way that... Because I'm the classic guy that everyone growing up, a lot of people go, I just can't stand that guy. Even though I'm a white guy, I was always, oh, that guy's the worst, you know? So I get it. There's going to be people that wake up out of bed, drink a cup of coffee, and just hate you for who you are. What this fight is to me and the takeaway for this fight is people can be really awful and boxing can can exude both the best aspects of life but the worst so when boxing gets it right it really 
as overarching themes of our work, professional life, and the journey we are on as people. When it gets it wrong, it exudes some of the deficiencies of human beings as a, wall, as a whole, which is division, hatred, and bigotry. A fight like this that's built around hatred and bigotry, I think it will always, to me, even, I think that we could take a step further. Political campaigns that are run on hatred and bigotry, fights that are run on hatred and bigotry, will always have a sore spot for me because I just can't stand the concept of dividing people as opposed to uniting people. So that is the lasting impact of this fight for me, is an ugly time in which people were divided more, although I think they're still divided, but more so, and the comfort of division out in the open. And a great way to bring an end to this episode, this after show on the tale of Mark Kayla versus Errol Christie. Thank you, as always, to Luke who will have his final little bit of housekeeping in a moment. But for everybody else listening, thank you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to us on Apple or on Spotify or any available podcasting app out there. You can follow us at Legend Night Pod on Twitter or you can find us at BTR Boxing Podcast Network on any available social media platform. Just type it in. We are there. All of our content goes out on there across the network, whether it's this show, Dark Side of Boxing, Career Profiles, it is all on the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. Luke, just a final one from you. If anybody wants to find the work that you do at Provox TV or your own YouTube channel, where can they do that? So big, big fights. Uh, go to Provox TV. I got a Patty Donovan thing coming out this week and some others. Uh, Lukeyboxing.substack.com. I've got a Substack. we got exclusive podcasts on there. Uh, my writing's on there. You can go to my YouTube channel, Lukey Boxing, and also fights atw i write about prospects that any other website wouldn't want so if you want to read about smaller lesser known american fighters sometimes british fighters sometimes irish fighters go there that's me and that is it for this episode thank you so much for listening to the after show of legendary nights on the btr boxing podcast network Shot by Lennox Lewis. A right hand by Holyfield. By Buster Douglas. Look at this. He's knocked by Tyson down for the first time in his career. But unfortunately, it'll never happen. Crunch. Punches. And punches. And it's over. I think it's going to be over. A player in big trouble against the ropes. I have to say, there seems an element of genuine hate between these two, Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. Imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Greg. You can stop it any time. Castillo's in trouble. Weak steps in, and the fight is over. Oh! Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.